Hello, I'm Stephanie Ruff. And I'm Aviva Nabeski. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Welcome to the September edition of the Dressage Today podcast, sponsored by Purina. Later, we'll have a conversation with Michael Bragdell, the head trainer at Hilltop Farm. And it is September, and September on the East Coast can only mean one thing, and that's dressage at Devon. So Aviva, have you been to Devon? Do you have any special memories of it? I have been to Devon. Unfortunately, Devon usually takes place during the Jewish High Holy Days, so it's been a little hit or miss with my getting there. Um, But I have been, and... um, it was really an experience. I I went expecting something along the lines of, and I should know better, but I went go, thinking along the lines of something like the Kentucky Horse Park, that it was going to be this big, huge, enormous, you know, whatever. And, you know, it's this little place right yeah. in the middle of, you know, the main line in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was, it was wow. I mean, it was just so close and intimate and personal. And it was funny because, you know, as, as our listeners know, I didn't start writing until I was older. Um, When I was in graduate school, I went to graduate school in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, which is a hop, skip and a jump down route 30 from Devon. And I remember when I was in graduate school, I was trying to get the lay of the land and I drove down route 30 And there was a horse show going on at Devon. And it was September. (laughs) And it was dressage at Devon. And I had no idea what was going on, but there were horses and it was Devon. And I mean, everybody's heard of Devon. So I pulled in and I parked and I watched some stuff. And I got very confused because nobody was jumping. (laughs) Um, and so I watched for a little while and then I turned around and I went home and promptly forgot about it. And, you know, decades later, or maybe probably only a decade later, um, you know, I realized what dressage at Devon was and that I had been there. (laughs) So, so yes, I've been to Devon several times now. (laughs) How about you? Have you been? Well, in in the let's see i lived in maryland for 16 almost well 17 years and i went to devon once oh which is i know kind of a shame yeah i I know it was a three and a half hour one-way drive for me so it was just long enough to make it hard to go down and back in a day and for much of the time i had the farm and i you know, being gone overnight was hard and blah, blah, blah. So I always had some reason not to go. But eventually I was like, you know, before I I have to get there at some point because all my friends would always go. They would they would get Mm -hmm. a box. They had a box and they would do the whole, you know, wine and cheese on Saturday night and they'd stay over and all that. And I was like, you know, one of these days I have to go. Now, I still didn't stay overnight. But I did do the drive. I did the drive down there. And um, it was fortunately the weather wasn't horrible, um, but it was cold. 
but it and was it surprising that it wasn't raining because it always rains at Devon. It and always we, rains at Devon. <laughs> yeah. And the couple times I went that, you know, it, it rained at Devon and, and, and honestly, some, one of, one of my, my most vivid memories of Devon is watching Cesar Para <laughs> riding in the Dixon Oval and it was not raining, but it had rained and there were puddles everywhere. And he was riding across the diagonal and he was doing his tempi changes. And at one point he slid one leg forward and the entire stirrup leather. Whee! Oh, no. Flew off his saddle and he finished his test with one stirrup uh-huh. and the stirrup leather and iron sitting in the middle of the arena. Nice. In a puddle. <laughs> in a puddle <laughs> see that's a very devon thing <laughs> yeah yeah and the shopping is great well that's what i was going to say i did yeah no i my friends would go and they'd always come back hundreds of dollars poorer than when they left yes. because they would always shop and and i did i did browse and and i was going the the one thing i did enjoy because it was cold was um the dewberry uh booth that was that they were giving out um baileys little oh. shots of baileys so i had to partake in that and that was quite tasty um yes. And then you drove home. And then, okay, it was like one little. They were not letting people get inebriated. <laughs> sure, they weren't. <laughs> and it was plenty of time between that and when I went home. So, um, but yeah, no. The the shopping is is one of the things that Devon's known for. Actually, yeah. is is all the the fabulous the fabulous places that you can go and spend your money at. Yes. So. Um, so it's 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 an experience. So if you're if you're on the East Coast and within a couple of hours, we, we encourage you to go just to see it because yeah. it is it is different than other shows. It just well, they is. tell me it's the closest thing to a, a European show that okay. we have in this country, you know, in terms of the intimacy and, you know, right. that. You know, I've I've known a lot of people who have competed there, both at the draw, the um, the breed show and in the performance part. And it just all sounds so intimidating. You know, <laughs> you, you 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 drive through these little tight alleys with your trailer and you offload everything and then you have to park miles away. And, you oh, know, it just, it's yeah. very. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's a big deal, though. It was it a is. Mine for a long time. Not so much anymore. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe it it might still happen. Maybe probably not. Okay, well, all right. Yeah. But at any rate, this this podcast will be uh, available right before the start of Devon. So we want to, uh, if anybody's there or if anybody's competing, good luck and uh, be be have ready fun. for anything. Yeah, and have yeah. fun. Today's Ask the L question comes from Kathy. She says she has a tense horse that sometimes jigs during the walk portion of the test. And from a scoring standpoint, she wants to know when you're riding the walk movements, what's better? A horse that you're trying to get a big walk and the horse ends up jigging, or you ride a conservative walk to keep the horse from not jigging. Um, I think it depends on a couple of things. She, she doesn't specify 
um, whether she's talking about the medium walk or the free walk, um, or whether the jig is coming during the transition. So I'm going to answer sort of all of that. Okay. So, so generally what I want to see in a medium walk is a horse that is marching actively. And I, I say, you know, pretend you're in a parade and you're marching along to, you know, the Washington Post march, you know, that it's a very clear beat and your horse is moving forward with a sense of purpose. Now, I know that there are horses that um, if you push the walk, they will jig or like my horse, they will become lateral. So yeah. in a situation like that, you have to remember that the purity of the walk is very, very important. Mm -hmm. um, so if you can get a clear walk that isn't necessarily particularly marching and impressive, but it is a clear four beat walk, I would recommend that that's what you do because you're going to get a six because, right. you're, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Um, the free walk, um, is defined by overtrack. The horse is swinging through the back is, you know, completely unfettered. Um, and, you know, oh, you know, moving forward again with a sense of purpose. Um, I see a lot of very lazy walks in the arena, you know, where the horse basically goes on break. Yeah. And the free walk is not a break. Um, again, you can run into trouble if you start to push your horse too much and you can end up with a jig. Um, I think it depends on the venue. If it's a schooling show, I like to see a rider try at least once to demonstrate that they understand the purpose of the free walk is to walk forward freely, actively with overtrack. Yeah. And if the horse makes a mistake that the rider is able to relax their body and relax their horse's body, and then maybe they get that lazy dawdling walk, but they've at least demonstrated to me that they understand the purpose of the free walk. Um, even though they're not able to get it at that time. Right. Um, on the other hand, when I see these riders who basically make the turn across the diagonal, throw the reins away and pick up their cell phones and start texting, um, <laughs> that, that doesn't make me so happy. So I, I, I think that in a licensed competition, you're going to want to try to do the thing that is going to give you the highest score. So if your horse is going to walk, but maybe not with overtrack, but there's going to be a certain degree of swing and they're going to stay relaxed and they're going to allow you to pick up the reins versus you try to push for a really big, sexy swinging walk and your horse yeah. is going to jig, um, you're better off going for the conservative rather than going for big. But again, if it's a schooling show, uh, you know, the word is schooling. Right. Um, I would say push the envelope a little bit and, um, you know, take take your hit. Depending on the judge, you'll either get a comment, you know, jigs and five or, you know, good effort and a five point five or a six. Yeah. 
So the the most jigging that I tend to see is when riders bring their horses back from the free walk to the medium walk. Right. Um, and I think that's because most people don't practice that. And so, you know, the horse knows I've, I've been on a, on a loose rein because <laughs> most people ride the free walk with flapping reins as opposed to maintaining <laughs> connection, which is legal which is legal. Yeah. I, I prefer to see that you maintain connection. I prefer to see the free walk ridden the same way that you ride a stretchy circle so that you maintain a soft connection and the horse right. actually reaches for the hand. And if you ride the free walk that way, then bringing the horse back from the free walk, if you practice that, um, you can be more subtle in bringing the horse back. Um, again, you know, not knowing exactly what Kathy is asking, if you have a horse that tends to jig, um, when you come back from the free walk to the medium walk, my recommendation is don't bring them back real well. Um, the chances are you're going to a trot after the medium walk. So, you know, get your free walk, shorten your reins a tiny bit so that right. you show the judge that you know that there's a difference and then go to ask for your trot and start shortening up your reins once you're actually in the trot because it uh -huh. probably will end up being more fluid. Right. If anyone has any questions they would like to have answered, please feel free to email us or reach out on our social media channels. And then when we return, we will have my conversation with Michael Bragdell. Your horse has unique feed needs and Purina has you covered. From breeding and growing to senior horses, from performance horses to easy keepers and everything in between. Purina has an extensive portfolio of research-backed options for your horse. There's no shortcut for quality nutrition. Cheaper isn't cheaper if it doesn't work. Put their research to the test. Find optimal nutrition at any level at your local Purina retailer or visit PurinaMills.com to learn more. Originally from Sweden, Michael Bragdell started at Hilltop Farm in 1995 where he is currently the head trainer. Over the years, he has presented numerous stallions and hundreds of mares and foals at different breed registry inspections and breed shows. He is well known for his success with young horses and has twice won the USEF four-year-old national championship, as well as three USDF dressage final championships on horses that he started. Michael is a USDF bronze, silver, and gold medalist and is a USDF certified instructor through fourth level. I just want to thank you, Michael, for joining us and talking with us today. Well, thank you for having me. And kind of what we, the way we like to get started is, could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in horses and then specifically dressage? Um, you know, it, it really started with my, my father, who always loved horses, uh, did not grow up with horses. Uh, he grew up sort of in the suburbs of Gothenburg, Sweden. Um, and uh, anyway, when he got older and uh, he had children, he decided he wanted to take up riding and started taking riding lessons probably in his late 30s, early 40s. And one day he just asked me if I wanted to come along and maybe have a lesson. And I thought, sure, why not? You know, that, that, that sounded like fun. Um, and that's kind of how it started. I, I, I would go, go to the local riding club 
have a lesson once a week and then go home. And um, it wasn't, it wasn't like uh, um, I was set on this is what I'm going to do. And um, I would spend hours in the barn or anything like that. <laughs> it wasn't until my riding instructor um, took a liking to my riding and, and then uh, suggested I come and work for her on the weekends. And, uh, and then she offered me to lease her schoolmaster. That's really when it took off for me where the interest really, yeah, I became a lot more interested in the riding and, and uh, kind of went from there. Uh, back then I was a jumper though. I, I, I just predominantly did jumping, very little dressage. How did you get involved in the dressage part? Um, I, I did have some dressage lessons with my jumping horses in Sweden. Uh, it was mainly to get my horses a little more supple and bendable. And so I got um, we were able to have more rideable horses, uh, which helped me in the jump off to be quicker and right. <laughs> all of that. Um, the dressage really when it. I, I had a bigger appreciation for it. it wasn't really until I came to the U.S. Um, I came here as a working student uh, to Hilltop Farm. Um, Scott and Suzanne Hester were here at Hilltop at the right. time. And uh, I was here as a working student. Um, and I thought, you know, one year with dressage horses, you know, I could, I could handle that. Um, and then... <laughs> plan was to go back to Sweden and continue on with my with my master's degree and, and studying and all of that and, um, and one thing led to the next I ended up taking a, a business degree here in the States and, and uh, just got opportunities that developed over the years here at Hilltop and, and uh, I really got an appreciation for, for the dressage. I, I never really understood what it entailed in terms of you know, the collections. And like, I don't think I, I really knew what Piaf Passage was when I came, honestly. Right. <laughs> uh, so it, it turned out to be a really long year then that, that you... <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's still going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I actually didn't realize that you you came here to to go to Hilltop and you obviously have, have found your spot. Huh? Yeah. It, it's, you know, it, when I first came it, it Hilltop had advertised in a Swedish magazine, there was a few <laughs> staff here on the farm that were from Sweden. And so that was okay. a catch. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I had been worked, I had worked abroad before, uh, and so I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, I, all I knew was I, I thought it'd be exciting to come to <laughs> the United States and and get a chance to work with horses. You know, sure. in this case, it was dressage horses, and I thought, well, that, that that's that's okay. I can handle that. <laughs> <laughs> so then, who have been your main dressage influences in your riding? Um, I think the one the the. The two that I come to mind that have put a tremendous amount of influence in the way I want to train horses and um, develop my system of training horses is, is Morton Thompson, for sure, and, and Debbie McDonald. Um, yeah. I think Morton has, has just given me um, 
plenty of insightful information over the years. And it, it's still, when I ride with him, it feels like his, um, uh, his knowledge is uh, just, in, uh, there's no end to it. Um, <laughs> it I, I feel like I learn something new every time I see him, every time I ride yeah. with him. Um, and it, it doesn't matter what level it is, anything from the, Greenbrook three-year-old to, to my grown pre-wars. Uh, right. Well, and Hilltop and you have been well known for over the years for presenting horses at breed shows and breed inspections. Um, and do you have any general tips that you could give to anyone who is interested in showing in hand? You know, lately, I, I think, um, I did a lot of showing in hand and uh, over the years here at Hilltop. When I first came, I had done some in Sweden on a very limited basis. Uh, and I didn't realize, you know, <laughs> it was a thing to the, the whole inspection part. <laughs> right, and, right. Um, when I first came, you know, I was got uh, directly involved with, with uh, showing mares and foals at the inspection. Uh, and I didn't realize the magnitude of the inspections that uh, they had here back back in the in the late '90s. And um, I mean, still today we, we have big inspections, but not nearly the size that we used to right. have. Um, but I feel as a as a gaining experience as a handler, the inspections uh, learned me a lot, um, and it it built a connection with the readers. Uh, as a professional handler, I think that uh, became very important sure. uh, and became something that I did quite extensively. I did clinics in hand. I did go to breed shows a lot and, and handle for for uh, local breeders and, and um, people that have bred to our salience and so forth. So, and I think that is something that is getting harder and harder for the breeders nowadays to find handlers that are willing to do that. I know we been trying to um, host USDF clinics here to kind of boost uh, um, the next generation of handlers because yeah. I feel there's a, there is a, a lack of handlers out there. Um, so we really would like to see see more um, younger people take an interest to it, uh, and I think there there is opportunities to uh, gain experience at the inspections and and you know become a a handler at the weed shows. It it definitely takes some athletic ability, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does, <laughs> you know, but it, but it's also a little bit of a feel. I think you know, it's, it's yeah. You can be you can be a very fast runner, but if you don't have a great feel for the horse, right? Um, you know, it still might not be a good presentation. Right. Uh, so it goes a little bit both ways. I I think you. Uh, sometimes a, a, a good presentation doesn't have to be that you're running 100 miles an hour. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it can still look very impressive and, and uh, be a very good presentation. Right. Um, Did you incorporate much in-hand work with your riding horses? I do. Uh, I do quite a bit, actually. Um, and I, I started very early on. Um, I actually, as soon as 
the, the three-year-olds are started on the saddle, um, which I, I don't do the starting part anymore. I have a very <laughs> right. uh, skillful uh, assistant rider that, that that's all the starting for me now, Brittany Stanley. Um, but I do take over the, the, the horses once they are walk out cantering. And I honestly, I, I don't do a whole lot of lunging. Um, really what I do is, is the groundwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, for me, it's really the being able to on the ground, being able to control the feet, uh, and then making them understand the basics of the contact, the basics of the connection. Um, even if I've had a rider on their back and they know how to walk our canter, I still find it very helpful. Um, those early years uh, of their education. I teach them the leg yield, I teach them the rain back, I teach them launches in, shoulder in. I can even do raw air and half pass from the ground. And I find it really helpful. It, it just makes it so much easier, I think, to be able to teach it from the ground. Um, yeah. Do most of the horses, do you feel like most of the horses, it translates pretty well from on the ground to then giving the aids under saddle? It does. I think it yeah. it, uh, it makes it just so much easier. Uh, it's it's. Uh, I feel they get it so much easier if I can um, get it from the ground. You, you're doing it in the walk, so it's a little bit of a slower pace, right? So it's um, and and it's um, it's a very basic level when I, for example, take the three year old and I'm doing walk halt or um, walk to leg yields. Uh, you know, for me, it's very important that they kind of figure out their own balance, that they're not balancing on the rain. Mm-hmm. And if I can get that on the ground, it, it, the riding becomes so much easier. They don't search for the rain that's rains to balance on. Right. Right. They already kind of have an idea of their yeah. own, their own balance. So the um, the U.S. Dressage Festival of Champions just yeah. finished up a couple of weeks ago, and you had several horses out there, but you had a couple of challenges with, with <laughs> yeah. them. Um, so I kind of have a two-part question. First yeah. of all, how do you handle when, when something's not going quite right in the test? <laughs> how do you handle it and keep persevering? That's part well, one. Oh, that's part one. Well, you you know, um, I'm sure every trainer will say, you know, you you forget what just happened and you just move on. Right. Uh, right. You you gotta just keep on going because you're you're probably, you know, uh, you, sometimes you probably have still the rest of the test to go, right? Or half the test <laughs> yeah, to go. Right. So right. If it happens stay. on your opening center line, there's a lot uh, exactly. left. <laughs> uh, so you 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 gotta just. Forget what happened and just keep going. I think that's yeah. the, you can't dwell in the past. What happened, happened, and you guys just move on. Uh, and it, it's hard. You know, it's easy to say that when you're not in the moment. Right. But I think um, try to train yourself to say, okay, just, I got to move on to, I got to get ready for the next movement. Um, so, and, and forget what whatever, whatever mistake you had, it, 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 it's, you got to forget about it and just move right. on. 
And then, so when you, when you have a mistake in the, in the test or, or you're struggling with a movement, no matter what it is, it could be whatever a rider's struggling with, what do you then take back and how do you work on that in your everyday training? Um, you know, I, I think when it's more educated or if it's a FEI horse, you know, I, I, I'm sure most of the time, you know, we, we, we made it there. So right. it's, we probably know the movement. It's it's how what caused us to have a mistake. Is right. it is it me as a rider? Did I get tense? Uh, did I get unbalanced myself? Was I too much in the way, or was my horse not through enough, or you know whatever it might be at that level? And, and I think sometimes it could be if you have a coach to maybe go over the test with. You can do that. Um, if you video the test, maybe you can watch and say, oh, you know what? I see now I, I kept my horse bent right the whole test. No wonder I couldn't do <laughs> pirouette or, you know, whatever yeah. it might be, right? Yeah. Um, with, with the young horses, uh, you know, I had, I, had, I had a Grand Prix horse there and I had, I had a young horse as well. And, and you know, it, it, the young horse did super well the first day. And, right. And the second day, some, something spooked him. Uh, and then it, it sort of unraveled and he, I, um, I thought he would come back and he sort of did. And then something else got him going. And, you know, at that point I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to try to get him to relax. You know, at this point in my ride, it is what it is. Yeah. So, um, I'm just going to try to finish with him still feeling confident so he can go back in the ring the next day. Not yeah. that he had to show again. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, I think sometimes that can be tough, you know, we, but to be able to think that way. Um, but we also have to remember, you know, that was a four-year-old. Yeah. You know, they, they, they have, they're young horses. <laughs> they have moments, right? They have moments. <laughs> uh, and, and you just have to, you know, I'm not going to dwell about it. Uh, right. Now, if it's something that happens every time I go in the ring, I say, okay, Maybe I need to really take a step back and I need to relook at maybe I'm missing something in the training. Um, but if it's something that, you know, you know for me, like really a legit spook or, or scare, it's not the end of the world. I'm not going to hang my head over it. I'm, I'm just going to move <laughs> on and, and keep on going. <laughs> yeah. Well, and keep on going is, is, I guess, what you're going to do as dressage is dressage at Devon is about to start Um, and last year you won both the FEI World Cup Grand Prix and Grand Prix Freestyle with Credit Hilltop and um, so what do you makes Devon a special place or riding you know the Saturday night freestyle under the lights you know there, there is there is no place like that than Devon. Uh, you know, I, I we, as we talked about earlier, I've, I've been here <laughs> since, <laughs> since I was a toddler. <laughs> right, right. And, and been going to Devon all these years, uh, mostly for, for the breed show. Uh, but, you know, I, I've gone for the jumper shows too in, in the spring and yeah. uh, always went to uh, the Grand Prix Freestyle and, and Saturday evening and I don't know. It's just, it's a one of a kind atmosphere. And I, I've really not seen anything, any other place like that 
here in the States that have that feeling. Um, you know, it has a lot of history. I don't know. It's just <laughs> the feeling. And, and it can be, you know, the thing is, I've been a Devon. I'm sure there are lots of people that can remember Devons where it is freezing cold and yes. pouring down rain. Yes. And, and we question our sanity <laughs> of being out there, right? Um, but it's still something to talk about and it's still something special to be there and to stand in the in the middle of that arena and, and you know have the spotlights on you i don't know it's it's an amazing feeling uh do you have any particular favorite moments or favorite memories or just kind of the overall general um and you know there there, there, there are lots of memories over the years you know um you know, there, there's been many horses I've taken through the Grand Championships in hand, and, and that's always been a, a special moment. Um, you know, whether I'm the handler or, or whoever's in our team that's handling, right. um, there, there's just so I, I remember when we had, um, and it was Cheetah. It was a full that we presented for the full championship, and she just had like one of those. It, it almost seemed like a magical moment. Like she, I, I, I think I was handling the mare, and a friend of mine from Sweden was Andreas Forslund was handling the foal, and she just wouldn't miss a stride. You know, they were just sort of clocked in every step of the way. Yeah. It was you know one of those perfect presentations. I felt you know that that was a amazing feeling uh i mean last year winning with credit in, at devon that's also uh, just amazing i mean I, I i look back at it that night you know this something that i never could imagine myself to have done yeah <laughs> you know not, not in my uh dreams could i believe that that could happen and, and i was so excited for myself for credit jane <laughs> Um, you know, Jane has so much history with Evan, so right. You know that that for me was very exciting that that we could do that for her. <clears throat> Excuse me for her. And so, I guess you will be going again this year. We are, we are, yeah. Do you have? Are you doing the breed show and and under saddle both? We are. We are doing both. We are bringing a, a few breed show horses uh, again this year, and then uh, and then we are saying um for the performance over the weekend yeah okay and i don't know what what's the long-term forecast looking like <laughs> <laughs> i i i haven't dared to look at it you know you, you, you just don't say anything you bring right. everything for any possible forecast um, and maybe that's part of the charm because you really <laughs> don't know because it could be perfect, beautiful fall weather, like you said. It could it could pour buckets like a hurricane. It could it could just it's just one never knows. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> just come prepared. I, that, that's you're that's right. all I should say. Prepared for every possible scenario. <laughs> Um, and so even though the horse world obviously keeps you very, very busy, are there things that you enjoy outside, enjoy doing outside of the horse world? There are, there are. I, I, um, <laughs> I don't so much anymore because I have two little children that take up a lot of time at home. Yes. Yeah. After, after uh, working at the barn, I have to go home and 
uh, be Papa for uh, the rest <laughs> of the day, and, uh, which you know I, I I love it. I do love it. You know, it, it, it's uh, I'm sure anybody who has little children knows that you know it's it's you have great days and you have right. more challenging days. Uh, <laughs> but I do love it. I do love it. Uh, but besides that, I. I do run a lot. I, I've always been a runner. Uh, okay. I used to track and field in high school and middle school. And um, I do, I ran quite a few marathons and half marathons. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I, I love the, the running part. Uh, it's, okay. Yeah. Um, well, that's a nat- then, then you're absolutely a natural then for all the in-hand showing that you I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> And so the last question I have for you is something that I like to ask everyone just to get their perspective. And it is, what do you feel makes a great horse person? That's a good question, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, I think it's, you know, whether it's your own horse or or it's a client horse, I always view it as, as my own and, and trying to build a connection with that horse. Um, mm-hmm. And I do deal with young horses a lot, whether it's getting them presented at inspection or presented at the reach show. Um, and I love the process of, of bringing them up from the basic walk truck canner to hopefully a Grand Prix horse. Right. Uh, but I, I, you know, with that comes, I think, a lot of patience, and I think the patience part is is very key when you're training training the horses and being able to read the horses and 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 connect with them. I think that that makes um, a really good horse person, yeah, uh, successful. And I, and I think you know along the way, uh, I mean, I. I for sure have made lots of mistakes <laughs> and I'm probably going to do a lot more mistakes, but I think it's not being afraid to make mistakes is important. Right. Uh, I think that that can limit us a little bit of taking that leap of faith sometimes because we are a little bit afraid to make a mistake. Um, like I said, I'll probably do plenty of more mistakes <laughs> but you know that that's that's how it goes, and that's how we learn, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting you say that you are the, you are now the second person who has talked about, yeah, being not being afraid to make a mistake and yeah. um, to learn from that and to hopefully, you know, not make that mistake again or not, you know, not in that context or whatever, or make less of it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but and I think that's something that dressage people tend being the detail perfectionist people that many dressage people are. It's hard for it's hard to make it's hard to be accepting of mistakes. Sometimes. I know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we want we want to be perfect. You know? Right. We want to be able to make it a 10 every time. And, right. And, um, and but in that journey to make that 10, you're going to have a lot of. <laughs> fours from tubes and maybe a one <laughs> right <laughs> you know right. hopefully hopefully more on the scores higher than that but but you know it, it, it just it is part of the of the journey and hopefully yeah. hopefully you can reflect on on those uh mistakes that you have and, and figure out okay well, what do i need to do to 
not do that again or, or right. improve that? How do I improve right. that? Right. Yes. Well, I wish you a week of no mistakes at Devon. <laughs> and we will do our best. We'll do our best. <laughs> and I thank you very much for taking the time and sharing your story with us. Well, thank you again for having me. It's, it was a pleasure, and uh, hopefully we can do this again. And I hope yeah. everybody gets uh, you know shows up at Devon well prepared for. Uh, good time and, and any any type of weather that the, you know the skies will throw at us that's right very good thank you thank you thanks for listening to the dressage today podcast if you've missed any episodes or to subscribe go to apple podcasts soundcloud stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts while you're there please rate and review the show Learn more and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com or you can visit our subscription video site ondemand.dressagetoday.com. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Happy riding and we'll see you at X. The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.